Do turn to, I'm going to read the passage first. Do turn to it in our Bibles on page 821. And we're in Matthew uh, chapter 15. And I'm starting at verse 21. Page 821 in our Bibles. I'm sure it's your custom to turn uh, and have your Bibles open here anyway. But I'd especially encourage you to have them open today. You may well be hearing heresy. Uh, not intentionally, I hasten to add, uh, but uh, you need to keep your wits about you this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to the end of the chapter, page 821. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word. And the disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such great a crowd? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. Directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. Having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Let me just pray for us as we turn to God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray you'd help me to be clear and faithful. And we pray you'd grant to us uh, not only ears to hear, but hearts and minds and wills to respond in faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this uh, chapter 15 begins, which I think you looked at last week, with the Pharisees and scribes coming to Jesus and engaging in conversation with them. And he explains to them there that the real problem for us is not what we eat, not what goes into our bodies, but rather our hearts, what comes out. It's not food that renders people unclean, but sinful hearts. And when the section finishes, you'll see that chapter 16, verse 1, the Pharisees and Sadducees come to him again to test him. So in verses uh, 21 to 39, our passage today, we are in a kind of Pharisee-free zone. Uh, more than that, we are in fact in a Gentile area. 
Certainly, verse 21, that's the point of what Matthew tells us. Jesus went from there, withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. That's outside Israel. This is where uh, Gentiles live, non-Jews. Uh, and from verse 29 uh, onwards, when he comes back and walks beside the Sea of Galilee in the region there, uh, again, he's also in a predominantly Gentile area to the southeast of uh, the Sea of Galilee. You pick that up a bit where the crowd respond in verse 31 to seeing what Jesus is doing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, the Jews would simply say the Jews glorified God. But it's significant because these are non-Jews glorifying the Israel's God because they see God at work in and through the Lord Jesus. It's a Gentile response. So kind of threading our way through these three different sections of our passage, I want to, I've got three headings. Firstly, the great faith and compassion of the Canaanite woman. Secondly, the lack of faith and compassion of the disciples. And thirdly, the great power and compassion of Jesus. The great faith and compassion of the Canaanite woman, lack of faith and compassion of the disciples, the great power and compassion of Jesus. Firstly, the great faith and compassion of the Canaanite woman. As Jesus moves out of this region of Israel into the Gentile area of Tyre and Sidon, he's immediately sought out by this, well, not just a Gentile woman, a Canaanite woman. Um, And not just a Canaanite woman, but an utterly desperate Canaanite woman. Canaanites, of course, were traditional enemies of Israel, but she comes to Jesus and in great desperation, uh, crying out, uh, verse 22. She was crying. The idea, not just one-off, this is continually, she's continually crying. And she says to Jesus, O Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Lord, son of David. That's quite astonishing on the list of a Gentile because that is giving to Jesus the title of son of David. The Old Testament expects a son of David, a descendant of David to come who's going to be God's king, the Messiah, who's going to bring God's kingdom in all its fullness. And here she is, a Canaanite woman, recognizing that this is who Jesus is. And she not only knows who she is, but who he is, but she's in desperate need because her daughter is in a terrible condition. Uh, We're told there she's oppressed, severely oppressed by a demon. A poor daughter living a life of awful darkness and destruction. And not only that, but this poor woman has to, to watch, as it were, her torments with utter powerlessness and helplessness. And of course, she loves her daughter, And as she hears that Jesus has come into their area, she rushes to him and pleads to him to have mercy on the daughter that she loves. Uh, But Jesus doesn't answer. Uh, And note uh, verse 23, it's clear from what the disciples said, send her away for she's crying out after after us, is that, again, this is uh, ongoing She continues on and on, pleading and crying out for mercy. And and in verse 25, she now comes to him and throws herself uh, at his feet, kneels before him, says, Lord, help me. Please, help me. And Jesus says, well, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. We'll come back to why Jesus says that. But it certainly doesn't sound inviting, does it? It's not an encouraging response from Jesus at this point. 
doesn't appear to be warm and compassionate that would encourage you to, to continue to ask. In fact, it's the complete opposite. It's the kind of comment that might deter you to conclude, well, I might as well give up. Uh, they didn't want me to see him. The disciples didn't want me to see him. He's saying he's not come for people like me, just Israel. He's, he's now called me a dog. Doesn't look like I'm going to get anywhere here. But she doesn't respond like that. She doesn't even argue back. She doesn't even, as it were, take umbrage and say, hang on a minute, that's a very uh, offensive, racist thing to say. She actually agrees with his sentiment and says, well, yeah, Lord, but, you know, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus looks at her and says, oh, woman, don't miss the O. The O there is, is full of compassion and love. Oh, woman. And then this tremendous affirmation of Jesus. Great is your faith. He observes from the way she responds to what he says to her that this is a woman who has great faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, why is that? How does he know that? We'll, we'll come back to that. When I tested and probed, when you came up against seeming obstructions and barriers, nothing would deter you. You're so desperate and you're so full of compassion for your poor daughter and you're so full of faith in me that's what Jesus is noticing because this is great faith why because you're so sure that's why you kept on at me you're so sure not only that I could help you do you see but that you knew I would help you so you kept on persisting what great faith you displayed in my power to heal your daughter and what great faith you displayed in my compassion, my love, my desire to heal your daughter. Be it done as you desire. Immediately, her daughter was healed again, instantly. Great compassion for her daughter, great faith in Jesus and a glorious deliverance. But then running through this whole section, note secondly, the lack of compassion and lack of faith, by contrast, that the disciples show. Firstly, the lack of compassion. This poor woman comes in desperate, crying out, pleading for Jesus to have mercy on her. And what's their response? Lord, would you send her away for goodness sake? She doesn't shut up. She keeps bleating, crying on and on in our ears. Would you send her away? It's really annoying. That's their response. Send her away. We've heard those same words on the lips of the disciples before, haven't we? If you've been going through Matthew's gospel in the previous chapter. Do you notice in chapter 14 where Jesus has uh, large crowds, thousands of people have come to him and we're told there in verse 14 that when he sees this great crowd, Jesus has compassion on them and heals their sick. But the disciples come to him in verse 15 and say, this is a desert place, the day is over, send the crowds away. Lord, send the crowds away. Send this poor woman away. It's beautiful ironic. These are the very men at the end of this gospel, when Jesus has finished his work of salvation. These are the ones, the very ones to whom Jesus is going to entrust spreading the message of salvation to the whole world. These are the ones he's going to send into all the world to make disciples of all the nations. These are the very ones whose natural inclination is to send the world away. 
Get rid of them. Go away. Get rid of this woman. She's troublesome. They don't care about her plight. They're not interested in her daughter's torment. They just want a bit of peace. And once again, Jesus then has huge crowds flock to him. He heals them and again tells us in verse 32, again, do you notice how Jesus is with crowds? I have compassion. Chapter 15, verse 32. I have compassion on this crowd and I'm unwilling to send them away with nothing to eat. But the disciples, again, have no expectation that the one who miraculously fed 5,000 people in chapter 14 is able to do it again in chapter 15. They say to themselves, well, where are we going to get enough bread? Shops are shut. There's thousands of them. How on earth can we cater for them? Like, if only we knew a guy who could do miracles. We've just heard Jesus exclaim to this Canaanite woman, woman, what great faith. And do you see the contrast? The disciples, complete lack of faith. In fact, he says to them in the next chapter, chapter 16, verse 9, he says precisely that of them, O you of little faith. They have no compassion to this woman, no compassion for the crowds, and no faith or expectation that Jesus can or will do anything miraculous. But then thirdly, notice also the great power and the compassion of Jesus. And both are vitally important. Do you see the power and the compassion of Jesus? He's both able to heal and willing to heal. Able to save and willing to save. One without the other is of no value to us. If Jesus has the power to heal but doesn't want to, we're not healed. If he wants to heal but lacks the power, again, we're not healed. If he wants to save us but has no power, we're not saved. If he has the power but doesn't care to save us, we're not saved. And the woman has faith in Jesus that he is both full of compassion and power. In Jesus, the son of David, God's king. And we see this displayed in this passage in both in microcosm, one-to-one with this woman, and in the macro, huge crowds. Picture the scene that we're reading here in verse 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. And we find out in the next uh, section that there's at least 4,000 men plus women and children. What are we talking about? 10,000, 12,000 people? And we're also told that this is uh, the third day. They've been with him for three days, verse 32. Just, this is, again, hour after hour after hour of people bringing out from their villages and their towns, just people after people after people in great need, bringing them to Jesus, and he's healing them, and he's healing them, and he's healing them. Lame, crippled, lame, blind, crippled, and mute. And he heals them. The mute could speak, the crippled are healed, the lame can walk, the blind can see. In fact, what they were seeing was a foretaste of the kingdom. They were seeing what Isaiah had prophesied. If you've got Bibles, just want to flick back to this for a moment. Isaiah uh, 35, on page 595. 
page 595, Isaiah chapter 35. Um, pick it up verse 1, page 595, Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, the desert shall rejoice and blossom, it shall blossom abundantly, rejoice with singing, glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see, what? The glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Why? Well, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With recompense of, the, of God, he will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Here they are in desolate places, desolate physically and desolate spiritually and we see in abundance the coming of our God and his power to heal thousands upon thousands and see his great compassion his power and his great compassion as he looks upon these lost and broken and desperate suffering people all flocking to Jesus and they're all receiving mercy and then to underline this, he tells us that this is so, verse 32, I have compassion on this crowd. And Jesus, after three days, with a weary body but a heart filled with compassion, I need to care for them. What have you got? Seven loaves, a few fish, sit them down. He prays, he gives thanks, he breaks bread, and he gives them food, and they all take and eat and were satisfied, and there's plenty left over. And as a result, they give glory. And who is he feeding? Well, most of them were Gentiles. Most of them were Gentile dogs, unclean Gentile dogs. And as a result, they glorify the God of Israel. That's in, in big picture, in macro, but in microcosm. What about this strange incident with the Canaanite woman? Because let's be honest, this passage is a bit embarrassing, isn't it? We sort of feel Jesus doesn't behave very honorably or kindly here. In fact, he sounds distinctly grumpy, um, offensive, even racist. And we feel a bit awkward and a bit embarrassed about it because we know instinctively that's not how we should think of Jesus. And so uh, we, we need to sort of set about trying to defend, apologize, explain away, or kind of quickly gloss over this passage. But I think that's to miss the point. What Jesus is doing here is he's seeking to test and to probe the depth of this woman's understanding and faith and also to expose the disciples' lack of understanding, faith, and compassion, and indeed to expose their prejudice and their bigotry very interesting parallel to this that we read in, in Acts chapter 10, if you're familiar with Acts chapter 10, where Peter, uh, who is amongst the disciples here, has this vision. A sheet comes down, there's lots of animals on it, and a voice says, take and eat, uh, take and kill and eat. And Peter responds, no, 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 Lord. I, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice comes back, don't call unclean what I've called, what God has called clean. And then immediately, as the penny starts to drop for Peter, 
the immediate thing that happens next is he gets a call to go and visit Cornelius, the Gentile, the Gentile dog, and to take the gospel to him. And as he explains the gospel to him, and Cornelius responds, and the spirit falls and comes upon Cornelius, and the Gentiles gathered, that the penny is dropping in Peter's head that, gosh, the gospel really is just as much for Gentiles as it is for Jews. My kind of, my prejudice, my narrowness, my racism, my bigotry actually just starts to fall apart as I see the power of the gospel and the compassion of God that wants to save all people. In Acts, food is declared clean, immediate consequence, take the gospel to the Gentiles. Matthew 15, Jesus declares food clean, immediately he goes to the Gentiles. And he's filled with compassion. Of course, in his earthly ministry, his primary focus is indeed the lost sheep of Israel. First, but not solely, we've already seen in Matthew's gospel grace being shown to Gentiles. The Gentile centurion servants in Matthew 8. No hint of resistance or objection from Jesus there. So yes, Israel may be his primary focus, as he says in verse 24, but he's also testing and probing her faith and their lack of faith and compassion. And as she comes back and kneels and says, Lord, help me, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Now, so many commentators here, I think, panic over this and and, and try and explain it. And, And see, the word here... Uh, in the Greek in, that Jesus used, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. There are two words for, for dogs, and one is the kind of wild animal that, that, that is uh, out sort of on the outskirts of town and that's fearful and ferocious and so on. And then there's another word for, for a dog, meaning a household pet. And the commentators explain this is the word being used here for a household pet. So that makes it less offensive. Oh, you're not a wild, I'm not a wild animal, I'm just a household pet. I, I'm still a do- it's still not very nice. Does Jesus really think that is what she is? What I wanted to try and show you, the whole context says, of course that's not how he sees her. Is he in effect quoting ironically the commonly held view of self-righteous, pious Jews who looked down on and despised pagan Gentiles who would never dream of lifting a finger to try and save them or to tell them of God's grace and love. A prejudice that ran deep also within his disciples that even after the Holy Spirit has come in Pentecost, Peter needs to have a special revelation for him to get his head around the fact God really does mean the gospel to go to the Gentiles. That when Jesus at the end of Matthew's gospel said, go into all the nations and make them, uh, and make them my disciples, teach them to obey all I've commanded, he really does mean all the nations, not just the Jewish nation. He's exploding that kind of narrow, racist view. And again, this whole context, Jesus is about to go on from there, not just to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but to minister to thousands of people, mostly Gentile dogs, and spend three long days healing and caring for them and loving all those who came to him in great need, those upon whom he has great compassion, whose presence he doesn't resent, or whose healing of them is not reluctant, but rather upon whom he's filled with compassion. And he's not only exposing the disciples' lack of compassion and bigotry, but he's probing this woman to see the depths of her faith in him, in his power and his compassion. And what a reply she gives. No attempt to argue back. She doesn't bristle or take offense. Why? 
Well, because she knows her need is great and Jesus is her only hope. If she had other options, she might have gone somewhere else, but she gets it. This is my only hope. I'm not moving from here without his help. But also because of her great faith, she knows that he's not really pushing her away at all but rather gives a sweet reply. Well, Lord, yeah, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And that simply melts Jesus' heart. And he says to her, woman, your faith is great. Be it done as you desire. And instantly she's healed. Let's just reflect on this for a moment. Um, It would be good to pray, wouldn't it, Lord? Help us, help me not to be like the disciples indifferent and uncaring towards others you ever found yourself kind of praying things like this you know i could be so much more loving lord i could be so much more godly and holy if it wasn't for that really irritating person in my life it's them that if it took them away i wouldn't be so grumpy so touchy so so irritable instead of seeing that actually god is showing up in me a heart that's in need of filling of his grace and mercy that those who I struggle to love and care for and forgive are the ones God's put in my path so that I might see something of my lack of compassion and cry out to him to fill me with his. And also, Lord, help me not to be indifferent like the disciples were to the so many thousands of people we were just praying earlier in this city, living lives that are lost, and far from God, and not knowing of his love and care for them, not knowing of a, of a saviour who's full of compassion for them. And grant me to have a faith and an expectancy that not only do you care for them, but that the gospel is powerful enough to reach them. A faith like this woman in the power and the compassion of Jesus for those who live without him. And then this Canaanite woman... This little incident is so important for us to get our heads around and understand because it gets to the nub, I think, of a very important issue for us. In Romans 1, where Paul is diagnosing what's wrong with the human condition, he says, here's what's happened to us because we've turned away from God. He says in Romans 1, we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that is now our our, our default human condition it's our sinful nature it means that we have a natural inbuilt propensity to believe the lie about God instead of the truth about God that's just part of our if you like our spiritual DNA and it doesn't just mean we believe a lie as in we don't think God exists or we doubt his existence actually a root is saying we we don't think God is good that's the lie that's been impressed upon us that God can't be trusted that God isn't really for us that God isn't kind that he can't be trusted that he's not generous or loving that rather what God does is to restrict us and limit us and seeks to dehumanize us and we need to be careful and we need to view him with suspicion and wariness and distrust don't get too near because you can't trust him and that's the lie that humanity succumbed to and, fe- and, and fell into when we rebelled against God. And it lurks deeply within the human heart. It's not eradicated from us even when we begin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, Matthew chapter 15, wrongly understood, can provide ammunition to reinforce that lie. 
little voice that whispers to us in our doubts and says, well, that's how Jesus really is. You come to him for help and he's not interested. You plead with him and he gives you the cold shoulder. He doesn't really care about you or your problems. Others maybe, but not you. He looks at you as one who is unclean or unworthy or guilty. And wrongly understood, this passage can appear to feed and confirm that lie, touching a raw nerve deep within us. That if or when we cry out to Jesus, well, he's not really interested. And he may not and doesn't respond and doesn't really care for us. But you see, you need to understand what's going on and why, and to place this in its context. And to see, this is the Jesus so full of compassion for thousands of people. He stands there hour after an hour meeting their needs and is, in fact, full of tender love and compassion for this very woman. And that far from deterring us, this incident is meant to encourage us to be like this woman and to have great faith in Jesus and have great faith in his compassion and his love towards us and his power to help us, that when we come to him in desperate need, crying out to him for mercy, he doesn't send us away like the disciples want him to. But he engages us and he probes us and he searches us. Our problem is never ever Jesus' unwillingness. Our difficulty is our lack of faith. And we find ourselves doubting either Jesus' willingness or his ability to help. And it's often also that we're not actually desperate enough. So we all have situations in our lives that present us with great anguish or fear or worry or anxiety or trouble or guilt. But if deep down, not what we profess with our list, but if deep down we have, as it were, this functional kind of unbelief and we sense that these problems are too big and we don't know what to do with them and there is really no kind of help for us, we doubt God can ever really help us with this kind of thing, then our only solution is to try, as it were, to, to, to ignore those things and to suppress them and kind of anesthetize ourselves so that we take the pain away or the sorrow or the fear. And so we spend a lot of our time trying to numb ourselves with with junk food or junk TV or alcohol. Or we distract ourselves through busyness and workaholism or social media or the pursuit of pleasure rather than do as this woman did, let it drive us to Jesus. Because he's the only place to go. And let it so drive us to Jesus that we, as it were, lay hold of him like she does. I'm not going from here until you poured out your grace. Because I know you're willing, and I know you can. Like Jacob wrestling in the Old Testament, saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. I know you can, and I know you're willing. And finally, it's also a wonderful picture of what it is to become a Christian. Because just like this woman, we are in need of mercy from God. Actually, my condition before God is worse than being a Gentile dog. Uh, I'm a sinner before a holy God, and I, and I need grace. And there is no one else who can help me. And there is no one else who can show mercy to me. But when we come to Jesus, he never refuses us. That's what this passage is telling us. He never turns us away. He never says no. He is always merciful and gracious and loving and promises to forgive us our sins and to take away our guilt and restore and reconcile us to God. No matter who you are, no matter 
how far or how near you feel from God, here was this Canaanite woman, a long way seemingly from God, who simply came to Jesus and asked for his love and his mercy and help and who received it, and whose daughter was healed, note this, immediately. And as the story of Jesus will go on to reveal the incredible way in which God's love and grace and forgiveness comes to us when we cry out to him for mercy, is because Jesus took up a position infinitely lower than that of a dog gathering crumbs under a table. He became for us the very lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world upon himself and dies in our place and thereby the wrath of God fell on him to rescue us. so that his mercy, love, and grace might flow to us. And so this passage invites us today to come to him. For though like this woman your need is great, his compassion towards you and his power to save you are even greater still. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace in sending the Lord Jesus to be our Saviour and Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. You are willing to stoop down far more lower than even a dog under a table, but to stoop down to the cross and die in our place, that grace and mercy might flow to us because you're full of compassion and great power to heal and to save. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen.